Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. This morning, I want to kick things off by asking you a question. Are you trapped by your past? Are you trapped by your past? And you can frame that question this way if you would like. How would you react if that person walked through the door right now? I was thinking about that uh, because we spent a little more time than we had planned in my hometown. Uh, We were supposed to be in my hometown for a week, and then each of my kids decided to catch COVID one week after another after another, and so we were quarantined there for much longer in my hometown. And while I love my hometown and where I grew up, uh, I don't love some of the memories that are there. I hurt people there. Um, I embarrassed people. I disappointed people. People hurt me. People shamed me or disappointed me. And so I had a few moments where I did wonder to myself, what would I do if that person walked into the room right now? Everyone has a past, right? All of us do. Things that we have done to others, things that others have done to us that still linger, still haunt us. And if we're really, really honest, frankly, there are people that if we never heard anything else about them or never saw them again in our lives, that would be fine with us, right? And so I want you to imagine that that person just walked into the room and sat next to you. Or this afternoon, they unexpectedly show up at your apartment. Or tomorrow at school or at work, they walk through the door. What would be happening in your heart? Would you feel the squeeze of shame on your heart? Would you sense the bitterness souring your stomach? Or would rage and revenge pulse through your veins? If you said yes to any of those things, then you are someone who is trapped by your past. And this morning, Jesus wants you to be free. He really does. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Grace. Grace changes us. Grace, getting what we don't deserve from our God, actually changes us. When it gets into us, it expels shame. It soothes bitterness. It replaces rage and revenge with things like peace and forgiveness, real peace, real forgiveness. And you see that in our story this morning as we pick back up on the life of Joseph. Joseph um, is the second most powerful person in the region. There is a famine that is wreaking havoc 
And Joseph is right where he's supposed to be, strategically saving life after life after life. And it's really, really good. And he's probably loving what he does every day. And all of a sudden, into the room walks that person or those people, his brothers, who had sold him into slavery, who had tried to ruin his life. And somehow... By God's transforming grace, Joseph is not trapped by his past. But rather, God enables him to process the pain of his past so that he can make peace with his present. I want you to listen for that as I read our story this morning, Genesis 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them. Where did you come from? he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you were honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring back your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against that boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for their journey. 
After this was done for them, they loaded their grain and their donkeys, and they left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. I'm going to skip down to verse 35. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Lord, our hearts are open before you this morning. Um, This is an old story, and uh, we live in a very different place and culture and time. Would you please communicate by your Holy Spirit the rich, beautiful truths of your word to our 21st century hearts? And Lord, would you even change us that we'll be more like Jesus, your son. We pray this in his name. Amen. It's been 20 years since Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. 20 long years. And now much to his surprise, he's there doing his job, saving lives, and in walks the brothers. With their faces bowed down, at his feet, begging him to sell them some grain so they can feed their families who are starving. And that's intense. I want to pause the narrative there, and I want to ask you to look back on those 20 years and ask yourself, what feelings has Joseph been feeling towards these brothers? What do you think? Sadness? Anger, betrayal, confusion. Why would they do this to me? Grief, loss. I mean, his mother died when he was really young. Life with his father and his little brother Benjamin was stolen away from him. Add to it all the whiplash in his story that you've heard, going from success to failure to success to failure to success again. Add to it this experience that many of you understand and the disorientation therein of living cross-culturally. He's a Canaan boy, right? Living in Egypt. Most of us, if we were in that situation, would be in a bad place emotionally, right? We would be a mess. I know I would. Um, We would look at those brothers and we would say, take these guys away. Take these dirty scoundrels who tried to ruin my life away, put them to death. And if we did that, and if our hearts respond in that direction, we would be people who are trapped by our pasts. 
the way Joseph treats his brothers is really curious, isn't it? I mean, it, it could seem vindictive at times. It can seem a little confusing here. But if you read this really carefully, I had never seen it before. Um, Joseph is actually brilliantly composed. And I think it's because he is in a really good place emotionally and spiritually. And that is remarkable. And as I read this, I want to know, Joseph, how did you get there? How in the world, how in the world did you get there? And the answer is he has spent the last 20 years not seething with anger, not pulsating for revenge and justice, not shutting down emotionally and just pushing through it all. I think he spent the last 20 years processing the pain of his past so that he's not trapped by it anymore. How do we know that? Um, Actually, you have to look at the end of the chapter before this one that Justin preached on last week. And the names of his sons, the names he gives his sons, verses 51 and 52. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son, he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Now, Joseph isn't saying God made me forget as in, I don't have the capacity to remember the things that have happened to me or I can't even remember who my family is. No, he remembers that stuff. And I bet you he thinks about his dad and his brother every single day of his life. What he's saying is my painful past doesn't define me anymore. It doesn't control me. It hasn't mastered me, dictating everything about me. He's not driven by bitterness or craving revenge anymore. Egypt is his land of famine, isn't it? And yet, as Ephraim's name indicates, he has seen God's careful, sovereign hand in it all. Now, what does this mean for you? I know some of you think that this is a bunch of hippy-dippy baloney, um, that I'm talking about processing our past and stuff like that. I want you to think about it this way, okay? If you ever have the privilege to go to Scotland and to play golf, and if you ever have the privilege to be in the sand trap on a Scottish golf course, which I have been many times in the sand trap, then you're going to understand the challenge we face and that Joseph faces, right? So you're in this sand trap, and you want to hit the ball that way. Only the way Scott's designed golf courses, you can't just hit it up and over the lip of the sand trap because it's like 10 or 15 feet high. You you literally cannot get out of it. You're stuck. The only way to get out of that thing is to turn around and hit the ball backward, and then to go back here and to hit it forward over the sand trap, onto the green, presumably. And it's really embarrassing, and it's not convenient, but otherwise you are going to stay stuck. And that's the reality with life in a fallen world. If you don't go back, you'll never get forward. If you don't go back, you'll never get forward. It's one thing to have a past. It's another thing for the past to have you. People who process the pain of their past, can have a painful past without being mastered by it or trapped in the pain of their past. And I realize 
that I'm framing Joseph's experience with some modern, maybe therapeutic terminology like processing. And that may seem weird to you. I am not an expert in that. Um, But we do have people at this church who are, like our counselors on staff, Kelly and Matt, and you can talk to them about that. But here's what I mean when I use this phrase, processing the pain of your past, okay? Take that painful moment in your story. Maybe it was a habit, maybe it was something you did, maybe it was something that was done to you. Take it and hold it out in front of you. And ask God, yes, the God of the universe, to come really, really close and to help you sort this thing out. And look at it really, really carefully and name it. This is what this was, right? And then start to ask your God, Lord, this was really bad, right? Lord, this was really, really sad, right? Lord, this was unjust, right? Lord, this is a violation of all the beauty and dignity that you bring to humanity, right? God, is it okay for me to feel this way about this? God, how do you feel about this? Do you feel like I feel? God, will you forgive me for for all the ways that I contributed to that, all the things that I did wrong? God, will you love me anyway? Will you love me no matter what? Will you promise me that you won't leave me because of this? God, are you doing anything about this? Will it always be this way? Are you making things better? And listen to what he says to you. I'm oversimplifying it. um, But that's what we do with the pain in our past. And we do it over and over and over again. And we recruit a team of people we trust to join us in it. And we design Bible studies and churches that have an ethos and an environment, home groups where we feel safe enough to talk about the hard things in our past so that we can heal, so that we can make peace. Joseph had to have been doing something like that, right? Because not only does he name his kids resolution names, right? But in this moment that is so tense, where you and I would probably lose it, he keeps his composure. And actually, He does some affectionate things through this weird story to bear fruit in his land of famine. He's got to have been doing something like that, and God has been helping him. God has been with him in that journey of processing the pain of his past. And that's what God wants for you too. It really is. The gospel is true for you. The Father really did send the Son. What Paul said in Colossians 1 really is true, that through Jesus, God really does reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Real peace. The gospel really does make a difference. Which means what? It means that if you are trusting in Jesus, 
then your future is going to look a lot differently than your past. That's what it means. Jesus really did come. Jesus really did die on the cross to take away our shame. Jesus really did rise from the dead three days later to give us new life in Christ that we get to experience and participate in. Jesus really will come back and fix all that is wrong with our world and our hearts. And in the meantime, we can process this stuff with people we trust, knowing that no matter what, God will never love us more or less than He already does in His Son, Jesus. It's true. It's beautiful. Therefore, we don't just look to our past and the pain therein. We look through our past all the way to Calvary's cross. And we frame the pain of our past through the cross of Jesus and the peace, the real peace that he brings through his blood. Meaning today, as we sort through all this mess, we can experience peace with God and we can begin to experience the peace of God. It's beautiful. Watch how it happens for Joseph. So there the brothers are before Joseph He's done his process, right? And with a calm head, he acts with great wisdom. Okay, God has reframed Joseph's past. God has given Joseph some health and some resolution. But that doesn't mean that Joseph just acts carelessly and with naivete, right? Christians, by the way, who have done this sort of thing, doesn't mean we're just careless relationally, we trust everyone, nothing bad will ever happen. No, 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 no. Why doesn't Joseph say, hey guys, it's me, Joseph, your brother, you know, the one that you kind of tried to off like 20 years ago. It's me, come in and get a big hug and let's throw a big party and how's dad, how's Ben, will you bring them all, let's have this big fancy... No, he doesn't do that because he doesn't know what's going on in their hearts. He's careful as he re-engages these relationships. He doesn't know if these guys are going to be honest with them or if they're going to try to take advantage of him. And so he keeps his identity concealed and he accuses them of being foreign spies, which is actually brilliant because he does want to extract some information from them, right? So he says, you're spies, and they're like, no, we're not. He's like, yes, you are. No, we're not. Yes, you are, Right? Um, I think it's more wise than wrong what Joseph is doing. Because as they're defending themselves and claiming to be honest men, they add a detail that Joseph was after. You see it in verse 13? Your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph, in his mind, oh, Dad is still alive. Benjamin is still alive. How can I get to see them again? Um, uh, you were all my prisoners. You were all my prisoners, and you know what? Um, one of you can go and bring my youngest brother back to me, but you're all going to be prisoners until that happens. So, so you're going to jail for three days until you can prove that you are really men of your word and that you're going to go through with this plan. And then on the third day, things get really interesting. 
And actually, he changes his mind and his plan. Look at verse 18. He leads in with this. Do this and you will live, for I fear God. All of you can go and, and get the youngest brother and bring him back to me, but one of you has to stay behind. Okay, so now he is not only testing their integrity, but now he wants to see if his brothers are going to betray one brother to advance their own interests. And that is fascinating because that's exactly what happened when he was sold into slavery. He just set up the same scenario for them, didn't he? Where they took advantage of their own interests and sold their brother Joseph into slavery. And so he's saying, maybe they'll do it again. Maybe they'll do it again. That is wisdom. That's great wisdom. Now Joseph much to our surprise, and I would guess to their surprise, actually gets to see their process. They have no idea Joseph can understand them, right? Joseph is using an interpreter, but they start to process out loud in verse 21, don't they? Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Do you see what God is doing by His grace? In the hearts of these brothers, God graciously is not allowing their hearts to have grown hard or cold over their wickedness 20 years ago. Instead, He's pushing toward remorse. He's pushing toward remorse for what they did to Joseph. In fact, they're even able to experience some empathy. They're putting themselves in Joseph's shoes 20 years before. When he begged for his life, now they're begging for their lives. And what God is doing in their hearts is really good. Joseph is getting to see it all, and he's moved by it, right? Moved moved to tears. The text says he, he needed to weep, and so he had to turn away from his brothers to weep to experience this. Pause that for a second. Two quick points that I think are important. First of all, Joseph has processed the pain of his past, but he still feels it. He still feels it. And that's okay. Processing the pain of your past doesn't mean that suddenly you're this strong individual that feels nothing and your heart is cold and you can survive anything that is put in your way. No, we're after hearts that are soft and resilient and are able to feel things that they're supposed to feel. And second, when that person walks into the room, don't be surprised to find that God has also been working in their hearts too. Not just in your hearts. It's just what Baxley said when he started this series. As you read the story, The lines between victim and villain are very blurry. In fact, most villains used to be victims. And what we discover about God's heart is that it is big. And he loves to build his family with both victims and villains. And that our God, the God of the universe that has come near to us, our God is more loving and forgiving than we are sinful. So don't be surprised to see your enemy 
has changed and that God has been working in his or her heart. So back to the story. The brothers leave Simeon, right? The test begins. Joseph, I think, affectionately and graciously uh, allows all the other brothers to go with this new plan. He's not just testing their integrity, but he's actually caring for their families because now there are nine uh, families that aren't without their husband or their dad. Oh, and there are nine hands to bring back bags of grain and the money that Joseph has slipped in to those bags of grain. And we do need to ask the question, why? Joseph, why did you slip in the silver there? And it could be because he just wants to be generous. Or it could be because he wants to frame them as thieves. Or it could be, interestingly, that he wants to set up the scenario that they found themselves in 20 years earlier when they sold their brother for money. So now they have this opportunity to sell another brother for money. It could be all of those things. We don't really know. Regardless, they open the money, they open their bags, they see the money Joseph has planted, and they freak out in verse 28. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? And I love that because God is doing what? Not just pushing them to remorse, but pushing them through remorse to real repentance because he's giving them a second chance. Now the scenario is the same. They have the opportunity to save their own necks, and it'll only cost them one of their brothers. Now they have the opportunity uh, to trade one of their brothers for money, just like they did 20 years ago. They've got this second chance. It's a brilliant test. What will they do? Well, they're going to they're gonna pass it. They want to do the right thing to save Simeon, and it's great, and it's beautiful, and all they have to do now, even though they're going to risk their lives by being accused as thieves if they go back to Egypt, all they have to do now is convince their dad, Jacob. And before we finish, I just want to look at Jacob real quickly, because Joseph has been willing to process the pain of his past, and you're watching the brothers doing it right in the story, but you know who isn't willing to process the pain of their past? It's Jacob. Because he is not willing to risk anymore. He is not willing to trust anymore. The brothers arrive and they are one brother short. Jacob sees all the money in their sacks. And in verse 36, it says, Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. And what's fascinating is that the dots connect for Jacob because he sees them come back one brother short, but with their money. And he thinks, these guys have just sold their brother Simeon into slavery. Which you know what? That must have been what happened to Joseph too. And you know what? That's probably what they're trying to do with Benjamin too. And that's why Reuben stands up and says, no, it's not like that. It's not like this sons of Leah versus sons of Rachel coup where we're trying to take over. In fact, uh, you can have my sons as collateral and you can kill my sons if I don't return with Benjamin. To which Jacob responds, my son will not go down there with you. 
His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are, that you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. And I never caught it until just this week. But by saying that the way he said it, he's the only one left to the rest of the brothers. The rest of the brothers are like, we're your sons, right? No, no, he's the only one left. He is disowning his sons. He is saying, I'm done with you. You are dead to me. And that, my friends, is the anthem of a bitter heart that has been trapped by the past. And I don't want that for you, and neither does Jesus. Tim Brown is a pastor in, um, in the U.S., and he told his congregation the story of the time he and his family went to McDonald's to have lunch, and they're there, they're having a nice time, et cetera, et cetera, and then in walks that person, that person. It's his enemy, and he's there with his family, with his wife, and with his three children, and this is what Tim says, the man was someone who in my past had hurt me. We faked pleasantries and exchanged hellos, but I could feel my blood begin to boil at the thought of what he had done to me. This person had wounded me badly, and I was surprised about how much hurt I still felt. Continues with the story, they finish their food, and he and his family are walking out of the restaurant when he hears his enemy arguing with his wife about not having enough money to pay for the food that they just bought for their kids. And this is what he wrote. Their three kids were screaming for their Happy Meals. The couple was embarrassed, and my first thought was, praise God, there is justice in this world. He deserves every bit of embarrassment he's feeling, and I am so glad I got to see this. You know what? You and I have done the same thing, haven't we? And then he remembered the Bible passage he had read that morning in his devotional. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And Tim said, God was saying to me, here's your chance to be set free from the pain of your past and to overcome your hurt. I knew I had a choice to either obey or to bask in my bitterness. And so somewhat reluctantly, I reached into my wallet, I pulled out my money, I gave it to this man who had been my enemy, and I said, have lunch on me with tears in my eyes. Look, God is not just the God of transformation. He's also the God of justice. And he has not called you to right every wrong in the universe. But you know what he has called you to do? As best as you can, to live at peace with everyone, to abandon bitterness and the need for vengeance. And knowing that Jesus has set you free from your past is the only way to do it. I mean, think about it. We were once enemies of God, right? 
We were the villains. We were the brothers bowed down before Jesus, begging him for life, life, life. And what did Jesus do? He forgave us. And he gave us eternal life. He invited us into the family. He connected himself to us. And it's not because we were awesome and we had changed ourselves. No, it's while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. Are you trapped by your past? Do you want to be set free from your past? And my friends, look at the gospel. It's true. It's beautiful. It's for you. Appropriate it. Apply it. The gospel really is good news that you and I have been set free from our past by Jesus, our Lord. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, this is really, really good news. And we confess that we are reticent to apply it. And so with much courage, this week, this month, uh, would you allow that person to walk into the room? And would you give us your Holy Spirit that we would re-engage in peace and extend love and forgiveness? We cannot do this without you. We're terrified to even ask it. Uh, but Lord, uh, give us courage. And then as we see your work in our hearts, would you give us hearts that are full of praise and gratitude to you for doing a good work in us to kill evil and to recreate us more and more into your image. We need this. We need you, Jesus. So we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.